Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this episode of our sermon podcast. Now, over the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about what it means to be a part of the church, and we've addressed a common misconception that a lot of people have about what it means to be a part or a member of anything. Most people think that membership is all about perks and privileges, but that's not what it means to be a member of the church. Instead, being a member of the church isn't about what you get from the church, but it's about what you can give to the church. So we've been talking about what your church needs from you in our last few episodes. And we've learned that being a part of the church means that you're going to love your church, that you're going to serve your church. Well, in this episode sermon, we're going to talk about one more thing that the church needs from you. But this one, well, it's not quite as obvious as the first two were. But it's every bit as important to helping your church be who God created it and calls it to be. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So earlier this month, I had the chance to go to a church conference that was in Chicago for a couple of days. And while I was there, I had the chance to experience just a little bit of the Windy City. Like, I got to see the Sears Tower, which I didn't know this, maybe you did, that Sears Tower is now called the Willis Building um, in Chicago, but I got to see that as I was driving through town, and I got to enjoy some of the staples of Chicago cuisine. I didn't eat a deep dish pizza because I was there on my own, and I didn't think I could handle that by myself, um, but I did get to enjoy a, a Chicago-style hot dog and an authentic Italian beef sandwich while I was there. But my experience while I was in Chicago for those couple of days, it ended up being pretty limited. And it ended up being pretty limited in part because I was up there to attend a conference not to see the city. So I spent most of my days in conferences so I didn't get a chance to go out and explore while I was there. But another reason why I had a limited experience of being in Chicago Another reason why I didn't get to fully enjoy the experience of being in the city is because I went to Chicago the first week in November, right after the time change. Now, in Louisville, the time change meant that the sun started setting here around 5.30 in the evening, but in Chicago, Chicago's on central time. So the sun started setting in Chicago by 4.30 in the afternoon. So it was dark outside long before my conference had even ended for the day. And I didn't really feel like wandering around a city that I had never really visited before when it was still dark outside because I knew I wasn't going to be able to appreciate anything that I was able to see. But that wasn't the only problem that I had with being in Chicago right after the time change. Because the time change, it doesn't just affect when the sun sets at night. It also affects when the sun rises in the morning. So the sun started rising in Chicago at like 6.15 in the morning. And I know for some of you 6.15 in the morning does not sound early at all, but 6.15 in the morning, I don't see that time of day, and my wife will gladly attest to that fact. And my conference didn't start till 9 o'clock in the morning each day that I was there. So I had no intention of getting out of bed before about 7.30 in the morning. But that sun rising at 6.15, it had other ideas for me. Now remember, I was at a conference, so I was staying in a hotel room while I was in Chicago. And I don't know about your experiences in hotel rooms, but every hotel room I have ever been in has been notorious for having those curtains that just can't quite close all the way in the middle, no matter how hard you pull, no matter how hard you struggle. So that meant that a little sunlight 
was able to start come peeking through. And my hotel room while, while I was in Chicago apparently was in the worst possible location that it could possibly be in. Because when that sun started rising at 6.15 in the morning, the sun wasn't just peeking through my curtains. No, it felt like there was a spotlight that was pointed straight at my windows. And that little bitty crack between the curtains was intensifying and directing all of that light directly at my face. So I realized pretty quickly that first morning in Chicago that I wasn't going to be sleeping in that day. But I also knew that that wasn't going to work for my second morning while I was there. And that's because I had to drive home after my second day of conferences. So I knew that I was going to be in that conference that day until about 1.30 in the afternoon. And then I had about a six-hour drive ahead of me. And I didn't want to be tired while I was behind the wheel. So I knew that I needed to do something about the sunlight that was peeking through my curtains at 6 o'clock in the morning. But the question was, what could I do about it? What could I do about the sunlight that was peeking through? Well, the first thing that I thought of was that I would just try to close the curtains again to try to eliminate that gap. But I'm telling you, no matter how hard you try, you cannot get the curtains in a hotel room to close all the way. So it just wasn't going to happen. The light was just going to keep shining through. So then I thought about just covering my face up with a pillow when I laid down that night. But I get really hot when I sleep, and I knew that if I had a pillow over my head, there was no way I was actually going to be able to fall asleep that night. So then I thought about hitting up the Target that was right down the street from the hotel that I was staying in and buying like a sleep mask that I could put on to keep the, eye, the, the sunlight out of my eyes. But I really didn't want to waste money on something that I would use for one night and then never touch again in my life. So I was starting to run out of options about what I could do to keep the sunlight from peeking through the curtains. And that's when I happened to run across an article from USA Today that was called Hotel Hacks That Really Work. And as soon as I clicked on this post, I found the exact trick that I was looking for. So according to this hack, and a hack is just a trick or tip to make life a little bit simpler, you take a hanger, like this one we're going to put up on the screen, this is a hang the kind of hanger you can only find in hotel rooms, the ones with the little metal clips down at the bottom of it. And, and I've only ever seen them in hotel rooms, but according to this hack, you can use those clips to hold the curtain in your hotel room closed. So that's exactly what I did. I went into my hotel room's closet, I grabbed one of those hangers, I took the, I took the clips and I bunched up the curtain as best I possibly could, folding it over itself and I clipped it all together, pulling the two sides of the curtains as tight as they possibly could. So I clipped it and I left it shut. And you know what? It actually worked. I've got a picture of that. That's, that's what it looked like in action in my hotel room. So the next morning, the sunlight didn't come shining into my eyes. I was able to get a good night's sleep, have a safe drive home, and I owe it all to a silly post that I found online. But here's my question for you. What would have happened if somebody didn't post that silly little tip? What would have happened if somebody didn't share this hotel room hack? Well, the answer to that question is pretty easy. If somebody hadn't shared this tip, I wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't have known about this if nobody told me about this. And that statement, well, that statement isn't just true when it comes to finding a way to keep your hotel curtains closed tight at night. 
The statement's also true about things that are way more important in life than just blocking out a little bit of sunshine in the morning. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul makes this exact same argument that if nobody, that no one will know if there's not someone to tell them in the scripture that we're going to be reading this morning. So if you've got your Bible with you, let me encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Yeah, there's a typo in the bulletin. It's Romans 10, not Romans 12. Romans chapter 10, but before we start reading this this morning, I just want to set the stage for you a little bit with what's happening here. So when Paul writes the book that we call Romans, or more accurately, this letter to the churches in Rome, he's writing to followers of Jesus who are living in Rome. And Paul has already spent several years traveling around the Roman Empire, preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus. The truth of the matter is that when Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, he has already visited the entire eastern part of the Roman Empire. He's already had the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus there. Now think about that for just a minute. When Paul writes the letter to the church in Rome, he's already shared the good news of Jesus with the entire eastern part of the empire. So at that moment, it would have been easy for Paul to just sit back and, and write this letter and say, you know what, guys, you in Rome, I've done my part. I've done my part. I've visited the entire eastern part of this empire. I've shared the good news of Jesus there. Now it's somebody else's turn to take over. He could have told the church in Rome to find some new missionaries to pick, that they could send out so they could pick up where he was leaving off. But that's not what Paul does in this letter. You see, Paul knows that his mission is to share the good news of Jesus in places that the good news of Jesus has never been shared before. But he also knows that he can't do all of that by himself. He knows that he needs some support along the way. So Paul writes, to this, writes this letter to the church in Rome to encourage them, to, to support him, as he starts bringing the good news of Jesus to the rest of the Roman Empire. So with all of that in mind, let's take a look at Romans chapter 10, and read what Paul writes here. Romans chapter 10, we'll start reading in verse 12. Here's what it says. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord is Lord of all, who gives richly to all who call on his name. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. So, in, in just those couple of verses, Paul is, is starting to set the stage for us here. Starting to set the stage about what what it means, what the, what the people in Rome have already experienced, the faith that they already have. As a matter of fact, let me jump back a couple of verses earlier just to spell that out a little bit more. In verse 9 we're told, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and in your heart you have the faith that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. For trusting with your heart leads to righteousness and confessing with your mouth it leads to true salvation. For the scriptures tells us that all who have faith in God won't be put to shame. And that's why there is no distinction between Jew, between Jew and Greek. Because the same Lord is the Lord of all who gives richly to all who have called on his name. And all who call on his name will be saved. So Paul is just reminding the church in Rome in these verses about the good news that they have already heard. Paul is reminding the Christians in Rome that they have already been saved because of what he says here. They have already confessed with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and they have believed in his resurrection. They have faith because of that. But I want you to listen to the next thing that Paul says, starting in verse 14. This is what he writes. 
So, so how can they call on someone? Remember, you have faith by calling upon the name of the Lord. How can they call on someone that they don't have faith in? And how can they have faith in someone that they haven't heard of? And how can they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer? And how can they preach unless they are sent? For as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the good news. What's Paul saying here? Well, in these couple of verses, Paul is telling us that you can't know the good news if no one tells you. You can't know the good news if no one tells you the good news. And in Paul's case, he's saying this to the Christians in Rome because he wants them to support him uh, financially and with other resources so that he can go out so that he can continue to tell the good news of Jesus to more people. But that's not the only message that Paul has in this passage. Because Paul's not just telling the, asking the church in Rome to support him. Paul is also challenging everyone who will follow after him. Everyone who will believe in Jesus after Paul. He's challenging all of us to be the ones that go out and share. To be the ones that tell the good news of Jesus. And this is something that's so, so important for us to think about. Since we spent the last couple weeks together talking about what it means to be a part of, what it means to be a member of Melbourne Heights. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about two things that it means to be a part of our church. And the first thing that it means to be a part of our church is that if you're a part of our church, that we need you to love our church. And then last week we talked about the second thing, that it means to be a part of our church. And the second thing it means, if you're a part of our church, it means that we need you to serve our church. Well, this morning I want to talk about one more thing. One more thing that our church needs from everyone that's a part of it. And here it is for you. If you're a part of our church, we need you to be an advocate for our church. We need you to be an advocate for our church. And that sounds good, right? Advocate, it's, it's one of those big words that I can throw around, looks good when I put it up on a screen and all of that sort of stuff. So it sounds pretty good we, when I say that we need you to be an advocate for our church. But what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be an advocate for the church? Well, at its most basic level, the word advocate means that you are giving your voice to something. You are lending your voice to something. So when we ask you, when we say that we need you to be an advocate for our church, we are asking you to give your voice to our church, to lend your voice to our church. And we're not asking you to do this because our church is the greatest church that has ever existed in the history of the entire world. We're not asking you to do this because we think that our church is the only church that has God completely figured out, so you better come here if you want to know who God is. We're not even doing this because we think that everybody in the world should be a part of our church. We're asking you to advocate for our church because we want people to hear the good news of Jesus. And we know that they can hear the good news of Jesus here. But nobody's going to know that if somebody doesn't tell them. So we need you to tell them. And there are a lot of different ways that you can be an advocate for our church. A lot of ways you can lend your voice to what goes on here. 
You can be an advocate for our church by being a leader here and making sure that we're sharing the good news of Jesus in everything that we do. You can be an advocate for our church by financially supporting us the same way that Paul was asking the church in Rome to help him to make sure that the work that our church is doing is, is able to go out and share the good news of Jesus beyond the walls of our building. Or you can advocate for our church by serving in our community and telling people why you do that while you're, while you're out serving. So there's a lot of different ways that you can advocate for our church. But I want to focus in on just one way with the rest of this morning's sermon. And we're even going to give you the chance to practice this way for a few minutes before we wrap up today. So here it is. You can advocate for our church by telling people about the good things that happen at our church. It's the easiest thing to do. The easiest way to be an advocate for our church is telling people about the good things that are happening in our church. And I know, I know that over the last couple of years, as we've been trying to sell this current property to relocate someplace else, that it hasn't always felt like there's been a lot of good stuff that's been happening around this place. But just because that's how it seems sometimes doesn't make it a reality. Because here's the truth. We just don't spend enough time talking about the good things that are happening inside of this place. So it's easy to be overwhelmed by the small things that aren't necessarily going our way. I mean, seriously, stop and think about it for a minute. Just some of the good stuff that happens in this place week after week, month after month, and year after year. I mean, you realize that less than two weeks ago, a group of 20 people that, were, that are affiliated with our church in some way, they went out and bought Christmas gifts for 75 kids in our community that are in need. That's 75 kids that are going to get to celebrate Christmas this year because of our church, because of us, because of our faith in Jesus, because of our generosity, giving of our financial resources uh, and our time to purchase these gifts. And that's just what we've done this year. Over the four years that we've been doing this Giving Sunday and our work with the Angel Tree program, we've done the same thing for over 325 kids and their families in our community. That's amazing. And I've got to tell you, that's one of my favorite ways to advocate, to, to lend my voice to what's happening inside of our church. I've got to tell you, in the time that we've been out shopping for these angels, off of these angel trees, I've had the chance to probably talk with at least a dozen people about what we were out there doing. And when people see you've got shopping carts and baskets that are loaded down with, with, with toys and with clothes and with all sorts of items, they get curious and they want to know what's going on. So we've talked with employees at Kohl's and at Target, and we've talked with customers that were shopping there, telling them about who we are, about the things that we're doing, lending our voice to the good things that God is doing in us and through us. Or think about what we do every year in the weeks leading up to Easter for the Cabbage Patch House. Now the Cabbage Patch House, it ministers to over a thousand at-risk kids and their families in our community each year. And our church stocks their pantry that they use to provide household items, food, hygiene products, cleaning supplies. We provide that for six months for the clientele that they have at the Cabbage Patch House. For six months, our church helps make life a little bit easier for the families that are coming in, needing assistance there. Or think about the work that we've done with Habitat for Humanity over the last 25 years. Our church has helped to build over 25 houses in the city of Louisville because of your generosity and because of those of you that have gone and lent your own sweat equity and put your own work into these houses. 
Or think about the Bible reading that we've been doing since about this time last year. You do realize that in the last year, our church read through the entire New Testament together, and now we've read through the first two books of the Old Testament together, and we're getting ready to start into the next three. I can't even begin to tell you how big a deal that is, because even though we all know that we're supposed to read the Bible, it doesn't mean that we actually read our Bibles. So there are people that are sitting in this room right now that had never made it all the way through the New Testament. People sitting in this room right now that had never made it all the way through Genesis and Exodus together. But it's happened inside of this place because we found a way that encourages and helps our people to read the Word of God so that we can all grow closer to God together. And I can keep going. I could keep going and talking about the amazing things that I see God doing in us and through us all the time. But here's the thing. Our church doesn't just need me to be an advocate. Our church needs us all to be an advocate. So we're going to give you the chance to practice this around your table. Now, in years past, we thought about this simply as a time of sharing thanksgiving. Sharing the blessings that God has given you in your life. But we want to focus in this morning a little bit more. We want you to think not only about what you're thankful for, but we want you to think about what God has been doing in this church that you are thankful for, that you are grateful for. Things that you can be inspired to share, to talk with your friends, your, your relatives, your neighbors, the people that you run across as you're out shopping at Kroger or Kohl's or Target or wherever you go. So we're going to give you the minute. We're going to give you a few minutes sitting around these tables to spend some time talking about the good things that God is doing at our church. And this isn't because we want to praise our church for the great things that happen here. It's because we want to praise the great God that we serve in this place. So we want you to talk about the good stuff, the things that you're thankful for that are happening in this place. And I mean that. I want you to focus in on those good things. And I want you to focus in on those good things because we need to hear them. Because we need to hear, we need to know them so that we can find ways to talk about them outside of this place with the people that we meet. So in just a second, I'm going to invite you to pray with me and end this sermon this morning. And then I'm going to give you some time. We're going to give you some time to just talk about the good stuff that God is doing in this place. So let's pray together. God, there is so much in our lives that we should be thankful for. And God, sometimes we do a pretty decent job of expressing our gratitude to, for you. Especially this time of year as Thanksgiving draws closer. We do a good job about thinking about those things in our lives that we are thankful for. Those blessings that you have given us. But God, just because we do a better job about thinking about the ways that you have blessed us, it doesn't mean that we take the next step. And we actually share the blessings that you have given us. So God, help us to see that that is one of the ways that you call us to worship you, to serve you, to share your good news, is by talking about the blessings that you have given us. So God, we pray over the conversations that are about to happen around these tables. Allow us to share the good things that you are doing at Melbourne Heights in this church and through this church for your world. Help us be inspired by the stories that we hear to share your good news wherever we go. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. Now, I hope that the last few episodes have made you think about what it means to be a part of the church, that it's not about the perks and the privileges, but it's about what your church needs from you. So if you're a part of a church, make sure you're loving your church and serving your church and advocating for your church wherever it may be. Now, in our next episode, we are entering into the Christmas season, but we're actually going to be talking about how we've all felt at one time or another after Christmas has come and gone for another year. And that's because at one point or another, we've all felt a little let down, a little disappointed after Christmas. We've all felt like we just missed out on something. But none of us want to feel that way. So starting next week, we're going to be exploring a few stories about people who missed out on the very first Christmas. And we're going to see what we can learn from them to help us make the most out of Christmas this year. That episode will drop next Tuesday. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I want to ask you to be an advocate for our podcast by leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Your review means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out to other people who are looking for these kind of messages. And I think that's going to be so important as we come into Christmas and, we, and we're talking about those feelings of disappointment and being let down that so many of us experience this time of year. So leave us that rating, leave us that review, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.